This is a special podcast edition of How on Earth. I'm Ted Burnham. Due to a technical glitch at the station, we're unable to bring you the full show from this past Tuesday, April 22nd, 2014. And as the episode producer, I apologize for that. Fortunately, one of our segments was pre-recorded, so you'll at least get to hear part of our Earth Day show. Yes, Tuesday was Earth Day, the 44th Earth Day, in fact, a time for reflection, celebration, and action to respect and protect the planet. Earth Day began in 1970 by harnessing the energy of the 60s anti-war protest movement. It unified environmental activists and led to the creation of the EPA and the passage of the Clean Air and Clean Water Acts, and all that under President Richard Nixon. That legacy continues today via the Earth Day Network, which leads educational efforts, tree planting campaigns, conservation projects, and energy efficiency initiatives. There will be several Earth Day events in our neighborhood this weekend. On Saturday night, April 26th, Naropa University will celebrate the planet with live music, local food, and activities held by students and other environmental groups. And on Sunday, April 27th, the Wild Bear Mountain Ecology Center in Netherland will host an Earth Day festival from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. There will be a treasure hunt, music, food, free rides on the Carousel of Happiness, and more seriously, a talk about ocean acidification and plastic pollution of the seas. For info, search for Wild Bear Earth Day Festival. You know, the first Earth Day was in 1970, but one of the seeds of that global environmental consciousness was a photo taken two years earlier by astronauts on Apollo 8, the first manned mission to the moon. That iconic image, known as Earthrise, gave humanity our first glimpse of just how finite and precious our place in the universe really is. Later, another iconic photo from the Voyager spacecraft would reduce Earth to a pale blue dot, And today we marvel at images of the rings of Saturn, the moons of Jupiter, and live-streamed landscapes of Mars. It's all thanks, of course, to NASA, and to the University of Colorado, which receives more funding from the space agency than any other public university in the nation. So it's fitting that on Friday, the top dog at NASA, Charles Bolden, stopped by for a visit. A former astronaut himself, Bolden toured the campus's aerospace facilities before addressing a packed room at the East Stadium Club to talk about CU's role in the past, present, and future of the space program. CU Boulder, to me, is not only one of America's great research universities, uh, and it has been so over many years, but, but CU has developed a special relationship with NASA, especially through the worldwide renowned Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics, or LASP, and that's where I spent a lot of my time this morning. I was there uh, hosted by professional Professor Dan Baker and his team, and we had a great time there. Earlier today, I spoke uh, to the students in Professor Jack Burns' Space Science Practice and Policy class, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, because there are students who have these dreams of, some of them want to be space policy people. Uh, I think deep down inside they want to be politicians so that they can make space policy, they think. Uh, so we, we talked a little bit about that. My conversation with Dr. Burns and his students reminded me of how much this university's groundbreaking contributions in scientific discovery and space exploration are all connected to your primary mission, preparing the next generation of scientists engineers and explorers and leaders 
who will take us to places we've not yet imagined. That's why NASA is so proud of our support of the Colorado Space Grant Consortium. Just came, there from, came here from there, so we kind of passed through there real quickly. And it's headquartered here on this campus, which I did not know, and I should have. Uh, but it was great to go through, talk to some of the students uh, who have been working with Space Grant here uh, throughout their college career. NASA and the global scientific community owe this university a big, deal of a big debt of gratitude. Since 1948, LASP has played a leading role in the exploration of our Earth and solar system, and you've partnered with NASA on dozens of missions, including LADEE, which uh, I am really proud to say, now don't get me wrong here, uh, crashed into the moon yesterday or day before or something like that. So some of you may say, why in the world is this guy saying he's happy that a mission crashed? Well, we have a lot of missions that are on extended life, which means more money and they keep us from being able to put money into new missions. Laddie intentionally was crashed into the moon. Laddie measured dust. And uh, dust is something that we don't understand a lot about. When it gets into your suit or it gets in the machinery of a spacecraft like a rover, it's bad. And so Laddie is helping us to understand more of the dust environment uh, on the surface of the moon. And we learned quite a bit this time with Laddie. But as I said, it was done, it, everybody was happy, and it crashed. And so Laddie had a very successful mission. And now we have more money to spend on something else, maybe here at CU. Um, I just said that, don't. <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure you all are still awake, all right? Some of the investigators out here are saying, yay, yay. You know, in addition to the numerous science projects we have worked on together, CU has been a pipeline of talent, producing scores of young scientists and engineers who are not only making a difference in space exploration, but in countless other ways that are critical to maintaining America's global leadership in technology and innovation. 18 CU Boulder astronaut affiliates have flown into space, including CU Boulder astronaut alum Steve Swanson. Steve is a personal friend of mine, and in fact, when I was in the astronaut office, he's not as young as he looks. Uh, I've, I've been gone from the astronaut office for quite some time, and Steve was one of my what they call flight simulation engineers. So we go there, we don't have a clue how to fly the space shuttle. And so we learn how in simulators, and one of the, one of the really good ways to learn how to land is we take a, a Grumman Gulfstream II, a business jet, and it's heavily modified. They put a new wing on it, and the flaps, instead of going down to create lift, come up to create drag. They put the engines in reverse thrust, and then you point it at the ground and uh, try to make it fly like a rock. And Steve Swanson was one of the flight simulation engineers that sits right here on your right-hand elbow and calls out altitudes and airspeeds and takes data and all that kind of stuff and then tells you, you know, that's one of the worst landings I ever saw. <laughs> and, uh, or stop, or other things like that. So I, I was glad to see Steve get selected to be in the office. Steve is currently the flight engineer on the International Space Station for Expedition 39. And, and he will actually become the commander of the orbiting facility in late May for Expedition 40. He'll replace Koichi Wakata, who became the first um, Asian to command the International Space Station. So we've now had Russians, Americans, Belgians, Canadians, Japanese. Steve is just plain old American again. So, so we'll, but he's the first person from CU that I can think of to command the International Space Station. That's a big deal. So you all ought to have Steve Swanson Day, you know, his picture up, uh, put it on the big jumbotron down there. You know, Steve stands on the shoulders of another great CU alumnus, the late Scott Carpenter. And I, I told people this morning, this, I was really glad to come back this time because 
the last time I was here uh, in the area, it was for Scott Carpenter's uh, funeral, which was, although a solemn occasion, it was really a happy occasion when you came here and you, we were allowed to be in his community. Um, he passed away last October, and, and it was just great to be here to celebrate his incredible life. He was one of the original Mercury 7 astronauts, and in 1962, he became the second American to orbit Earth. His courage and achievements helped set the stage for more than a half century of American leadership in space. And if you thought the 1969 moon landing, the, the space shuttle, the ISS, and other things uh, we've done since 1962 were awesome, I'm here to tell you that, as, as I would say back in South Carolina, you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, this is a real exciting time to be in the space business, and, and that's the message I want to leave you. Um, I've had several opportunities in the past few weeks to testify before Congress, and it's not as bad as it looks. You know, I go and I try to explain to the American people via the Congress um, the ambitious exploration plan that we have and that we've been implementing for the past few years. It's a plan that reflects a steady, stepping stone approach to meet President Obama's challenge of advancing deep space technologies through our asteroid redirect mission and sending humans to Mars in the 2030s. The success of this plan begins with the International Space Station, our springboard to the exploration of deep space. You know, if I compare my time on the space shuttle to Steve's time on station, I was a camper. A long flight on the space shuttle was 14, 15, 16 days. My longest flight was nine days. A short flight on the International Space Station these days is four to six months. And we're getting ready to send Scott Kelly and, uh, and his Russian counterpart next year in 2015. They're going to go and spend a year on station. So we're getting longer and longer stays in space. What most of you should remember, and, and many of you don't even know it, um, who has 13-year-old kids? Are you 13? Okay. Not one second in your life, not one second in your life has every human being been on this planet. And that's because over the last 13, almost 14 years now, there has always been at least, at least three people orbiting Earth on the International Space Station. You know, astronauts aboard the station are helping us to learn how to safely execute extended missions deeper and deeper into space. And teams of NASA workers here on Earth uh, are building the next generation heavy lift rocket, even as we speak, and a space capsule that would take us there. Later this year, probably in the December time frame, uh, you're going to hear people start talking about this, this launch of Exploration Flight Test 1. And it's going to be the first flight of Orion, which this time will be uncrewed, but Orion is the first spacecraft that this nation or any nation has built, been, has built to go beyond low Earth orbit in more than 40 years. Uh, it's going to, when it flies later this year, it's going to go farther than any spacecraft designed for humans has been since the Apollo era. We're going to fly it on two big elliptical orbits, and then it's going to come back uh, and just re-enter at the speeds and, and energy that it would do if it were coming back from the moon or Mars. And it's just going to be a demonstration flight for us to make sure that, that the vehicle we think we built is, in fact, the vehicle that we think we have. So it's really exciting for all of us. The President's 2015 budget also supports the administration's commitment that NASA be a catalyst for the growth of a vibrant American commercial space industry. Already, two American companies, SpaceX and Orbital Sciences, and I don't know how many of you were looking at television about an hour and a half ago, but over, we watched SpaceX launch uh, Falcon and the Dragon and, and a CU payload, uh, a CubeSat. And I think some of the team are here and they're all bubbly and excited because, you know, once again, hey, all right. 
And that's a, I have to tell people, that's a big deal. Just think about it. Getting something off this planet is really hard, really hard. And to know that you have students here at CU who just, just really dedicated themselves to doing this thing, got a CubeSat put together, got it put on a spacecraft that left this planet just about an hour and a half ago, that's a big deal. I was talking about SpaceX and Orbital. They're already carrying cargo to the International Space Station for us. And so, you know, we retired the shuttle in July of 2011. Um, we're no longer dependent on other countries or other entities to get cargo to station because we have two companies that are doing it. And while the, the Russian Federal Space Agency, or Roscosmos, remains an incredible, reliable partner for us, a strong and reliable partner, uh, last week, you know, we purchased seats on Soyuz again. Uh, to help keep the space station operating, to get our crews there. Um, later this year, we intend to select from American companies competing to, to send our astronauts to station from American soil, and we'll be flying by 2017. So that's really, really, really important. In addition to continuing our ISS research, strengthening partnerships with commercial and international partners, and building the next generation heavy lift rocket and crew capsule to take our astronauts farther into space than ever before, our stepping stone approach includes a plan to robotically capture a small near-Earth asteroid. We want to redirect it safely from its normal orbit of the sun uh, headed toward Earth and gradually get it to go toward the moon where the moon's gravity will dominate and pull it in. It'll go into a, a distant retrograde orbit of the moon. Uh, once we do that, then we can send astronauts uh, to go visit it, to work with it, to uh, interact with it, maybe collect samples and bring them back to Earth. So we're excited about that mission. We're hoping to be able to do that by 2025. So keep studying, uh, come to CU, get your degree, become an astronaut, because about 15 years from now you'll be applying to be an astronaut and, and you may be one to go to an asteroid. We'll, we will have done the first, we'll have it there for you, okay? <laughs> that was NASA Chief Administrator and former astronaut Charles Bolden speaking Friday at CU. For How on Earth, I'm Ted Burnham.